0: Uh, b- b- as we begin, let me tell you about a girl named Amy and her question to me, and what would you answer her if she asked you this? And the question is simple. If I show up here on Sunday morning, will I be welcome? Will you allow me to t- attend here? Here's what I know about Amy. Uh, she, I first met her when she, she'd show up in our church. This is this back in Winnipeg. She would show up in our church midweek, the most important reason so that she could use the bathroom. And secondly, if we had anything to eat, we'd give it to her. She had lived with her grandma in the blue block, which was a Manitoba housing, subsidized housing about six blocks from our church, but her grandma couldn't handle her and and had kicked her out. And there was a a school uh, somewhat close to our church, had a flat roof, and she would spend the nights on the roof behind one of the, the, the rooftop units because she said it was safer than staying in the park. Her teeth were little stubs because they'd been burned away by acid, stomach acid, because she was or had been bulimic. She was addicted to drugs. And the reason she was asking if she would be welcome in our church is because three churches had told her that she couldn't come back. The reason for that is because she had Tourette's, and when she was nervous in particular, but at any point, she could just throw out these F-bombs, six FUs in a row, rapid fire, in the middle of a sermon, sat over there. Our church was kind of shaped the same. Sat over there, maybe flip me the bird while I'm preaching. Somebody asked me in the foyer this morning if I was used to hecklers, Uh, well, Well, I guess so, yeah. Can you imagine a quiet time of prayer and the middle, all of a sudden these bombs dropping? Do you introduce her to the congregation and say, this is my friend Amy. And if you say hi to her in the foyer, she might cuss at you. And if you walk by without saying hi, she might follow you and cuss at you. Is she welcome? Can I come to your church? Will you accept me here? I believe she was honestly looking for God. And her life was so filled with pain. And she didn't know where to turn. And she didn't know who she could trust. And she didn't know if God was trustworthy. Can I come to your church? Will you accept me? She attended only for about a month and a half and then disappeared. I don't know if it was because she was arrested or institutionalized or killed. I don't know. she just disappeared. But it always you know to tell you the truth when she first asked, Ah no. But, you know, the people of our church never once told her that she wasn't welcome there. I think the older people couldn't hear or understand what she was saying. (laughs) Because it came out pretty fast. So today, James chapter 2 is about showing favoritism and welcoming people into the church. Let's read the passage. My brothers and sisters. This is James 2 starting with verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glo- or the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby, clo- shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in, good- in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not uh, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges uh, with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name uh, by which you were called? If you really really fulfill the uh, royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever uh, keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has been com- uh, guilty of all of it. For he who said, "Do not murder," whoops. For he who uh, let me start that over here. For he who said, "Do not commit adultery," also said, "Do not murder." If you do not commit adultery. But do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So verse 1 starts with, My brothers and sisters, show no partiality to, as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when James starts a sentence with my brothers, or my brothers and sisters, he knows he's about to nail you. So hang on, he's going to talk about showing favoritism. The Greek word that's translated partiality here is actually a compound word that means to receive and face. It literally means to receive somebody's face, to receive somebody based upon their appearance, the appearance of their face, on the basis of what they look like, on a superficial judgment. James says, don't do that. Don't accept people just on superficial judgments. The Good News translation of this verse says, never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. Now that's a common social disease. This morning, in order to deal with what James is saying here, let's look at some of the common reasons people show favoritism. The first one, as, as this uh, verb or uh, word um, indicates, is by appearance. We discriminate because of appearance. Beauty is everything in our world. If you're a cute kid, you kind of got it made. If you're just plain, well, good luck. We judge people on their appearance, how they look, and how they dress. Uh, I took some courses through Fuller Seminary, and one of my courses was down in the city of Minneapolis. And uh, we went to this very wealthy church. And there was about 10 of us We decided we'd run this little experiment. Some of us wore jeans, some of us wore kind of casual clothing. There one guy who had a suit that he claimed he paid $3,000 for it. This is back in the mid-90s. It's kind of out of my league, right? The guy with the fancy suit, oh, and by the way, the pastor was kind of this celebrity. The guy in the fancy suit got a personal invitation to go meet the pastor. The guy in the jeans, nobody talked to. People are treated differently by their appearance. How we were dressed that Sunday definitely influenced uh, how we were accepted in the church. And so my question is, how do we treat people? How do we judge them by just looking at them? A second way is ancestry. We judge people according to their race, their ethnicity, their nationality. I've heard about a black fellow who wanted to go to a church in the south and, and they wouldn't let him in. And so he, he talked to the pastor and the pastor says, well, why don't you just pray about it? A little bit later, he saw, uh, the pastor saw the man again and said, well, like, what did God say? And, and the man said, well, God said, don't worry. I've been trying to get into that church for the last 20 years and they don't let me in either. <laughs> we also discriminate on age. You're too young or you're too old or achievement. Our society gushes over winners and forgets about losers. One minute you're a hero, and the next minute you're kind of forgotten about. And then the last one, affluence. This is the most common distinction. We judge people by their wealth, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. What attitude do you have towards people who make more money than you do? What attitude do you have towards people who make less money than you? This is the area that James picks up on. The area that we often distinguish people apart from each other by. The the economic distinction. So verse 2. If a man uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So two guys come to the church at the same time. They're both strangers. We know they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. The first guy, though, he's dripping with wealth. It says, literally, he is gold-fingered. He's got gold rings on, he's gold-fingered. Now in New Testament times, you could rent rings to show how wealthy you were. They also took um, uh, gems and sewed them right into their clothing. Real gaudy looking stuff, I'm sure. Now James doesn't criticize this guy for being wealthy. He criticizes the church for being partial to him. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with having money or having wealth. But then along comes a poor guy at the same time, destitute and shabby, maybe he's got holes in his clothes, hasn't had an opportunity to wash or take a bath of any kind, so maybe he doesn't smell the greatest. And the ushers have a choice. What are they going to do with these two? They take the rich guy to the front of the church and say, here, sit in this nice place. We want everybody. We want all these people to see that you're here with us. And then they say to the poor guy, "You have a choice. You can stand over there in the corner, or you can fit, or you can sit at my feet. Literally, sit under my fo- footstool, which was the ultimate put down in their day. They treat him carelessly, and James says." There's three problems with all of this. Three problems with showing favoritism. First of all, he says, favoritism isn't Christian. It's not Christ-like. If you want to be like Jesus, you can't play favorites. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality or favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now the word favoritism is only used four times in the Bible. All all the other times are used about God and and, uh, it says God uh, does not play favorites or God does not show favoritism. Uh, Romans 2 verse 11 is, is an example. It says God does not show favoritism. Peter had to learn this. In Acts chapter 10, when he goes to Cornelius, you know, that whole vision about that that sheet coming down from heaven and and God saying, don't treat anything uh, as unclean that I've, I've said is clean. There ought to be one place, at least one place in the world, where there's no discrimination. And that ought to be the church, where everybody is welcome no matter what their background is. The second reason is, he says that favoritism, showing favoritism is unreasonable. It's illogical. It just doesn't make sense. And he has two reasons for that. First of all, he says, God has chosen the poor. Verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? He's not saying that it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. He's not saying that only poor people are going to be saved. By the way, everybody in this room is rich compared to most of the people in this world. Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't check your wallet before he saves you? Aren't you glad that your salvation isn't dependent upon your savings account? Wealth in itself does not deserve any special treatment. Who who knows? A person may have got their wealth dishonestly. Your Your value is not based upon your valuables. Now, don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. There's a big difference. As Christians, we shouldn't try to impress each other with the stuff that we've got. We can choose to live a simple life, not always buying the most important or the the best of things, just to impress others. My net worth and my self-worth have nothing to do with each other. We are not to be trying to impress each other by wearing certain cli- kinds of clothes or driving certain kinds of cars. It doesn't matter where you buy your clothes or what kind of car you drive. You're welcome in the church. You're welcome here. James says it's illogical to, uh, to show favoritism. Don't confuse where you get your self worth from God chooses the poor. He doesn't expect that they're going to have wealth in order to be saved. Now on top of that, the second reason why it's illogical, he says, the rich don't care about you. Don't worry about catering to them. Verse 6, are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? In New Testament times, it was the Roman nobility that were throwing the Christians to the lions. They were the ones persecuting the Christians. They were judging the Christians. They were dragging them into court. They were insulting them. They were throwing them to the lines. James says, why are you trying to impress them? They're certainly not worried about you. They're not trying to impress you. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Do you know why we like to kiss up to rich people or to famous people? It's because we hope to gain something from them. And James says, don't show favoritism. First of all, it's not Christlike; It's unchristian. Secondly, it's not reasonable. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. And then now he comes to his primary reason, the main reason. He says, showing favoritism is unloving. That's why you shouldn't do it. Verse uh, 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scriptures... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Why is it called the royal law? Because it's the one that fulfills all the other laws. Ephesians, or Galatians 5 verse 14. All the law is summed up in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I play favoritism or if I play favorites, I'm being unloving. The Bible says how we relate to each other shows how much we really love God. 1 John 4, verse 20. If a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he is lying. How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your neighbor or your brother whom you have seen? How I relate to you proves how much I love God. Favoritism is unloving. Showing favoritism shows that I don't really love God few of us know how to love unconditionally most of us are kind of like this poem here's the poem paul's girl is rich and haughty my girl is poor as clay paul's girl is young and pretty mine looks like a bale of hay (laughs) paul's girl is smart and clever my girl is dumb but good Would I trade my girl for Paul's? You bet your life I would. (laughs) We don't know how to show unconditional love. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin. That's the central verse of this whole thing. If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Who, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. How many laws do we need to break to be a lawbreaker? Just one, right? How many crimes do you have to break uh, to commit to be a criminal? Just one. How many chains do you have to or links do you have to break to break a chain? Just one, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a in a China shop and there's this sign that says, you break it, you bought it. You, you've seen that, right? The owner doesn't care if you did take a little chip out of it or break the thing to a thousand pieces. Either way, you've bought it. James is saying, uh, we might think favoritism is a small thing. But he says, if you, if you break the law, you're breaking the law. If you break God's rule, you've broken God's rule. Be careful showing favoritism is a big thing. Verse 11. But he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He's kind of bringing out the big guns there, eh? Adultery and murder. But he's got the three. Adultery, murder, showing favoritism. And you do any one of these three and you've broken the law. He's saying that to show favoritism is a serious thing. He's saying that to commit adultery is unloving. To commit murder is unloving. But to show favoritism is also unloving. Now people have kind of said to me something along the way this. You know, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't, uh, uh, what else? do they You know, I don't do any of the bad stuff. And I don't run around with girls that do. So why would God be upset that I treat some people better than others? And James is saying, it's all important. It doesn't matter. It's unloving. Verse 12, so speak and act as those who are uh, to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love treats people with mercy. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now what's the problem with showing favoritism? Well, James says, first of all, it's unchristian. It's not like Christ. Secondly, it's not pract- it's, it's, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. And thirdly, it's unloving. So how are we to treat people? Now here's an interesting fact. Growing churches are more loving toward each other and visitors than declining churches. Surprise, surprise, eh? Studies show that loving churches attract people regardless of their denomination, their theology, or their location. Church growth research is uh, uh, tested 25 different denominations, and they created a scale that they called their love quotient. How how people responded to each other and to um, to visitors. And they made this little scale, and on their scale, of the 12 uh, denominations scoring below 65, 10 out of those de- uh, denominations were shrinking. Of the 13 denominations scoring uh, over 65 all of them were growing most churches that grow today have learned how to love a church that loves people as a ch- uh, is a church that grows it appears that nothing influences a church's growth or decline as much as if the people experience love when they come to that church When new people are joining a church, there's a number of things that I look for in their testimony. And one of the things is, obviously, do they love Jesus and are they connected to him? But the second thing is, do they feel loved in the church that they're joining? Love reaches people. We don't argue people into God's kingdom. We love people into God's kingdom. Now, how do we do that? Well, three things. First of all, we accept everybody. You know why uh, people have a hard time accepting others? Particularly, say, parents whose uh, kids have gone off the rails, aren't, aren't living a straight and narrow, and they, the parents struggle to accept the kids. You know why? We confuse acceptance with approval. There's a big difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept someone without approving of what they're doing. He may be doing something that's uh, completely contrary to what you believe, but you're still able to accept him as a person without approving of what he's doing. Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's a start, acceptance. We want to cultivate an attitude of acceptance. The church, is not a ho- the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints where we dress up to impress each other. Now, I've always told churches where I'm the pastor, if you're perfect, you probably don't belong here. This is a church for people who are growing, a church for people who don't have it all. all we're, we're screwed up here. Look at the pastor you got. (laughs) We're screwed up by it. If if you want to grow more and more like Jesus, oh, you're welcome here. No matter where you are and where you come from, you're welcome. First of all, you accept people. Secondly, you appreciate them. This goes a little bit farther than than, uh, acceptance. Philippians 2 Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only at your own interests, but also at the interests of others. Appreciate everybody. Find something that you like about that person and tell them so. Now with some people, that requires some creativity. Amy the little girl I started the sermon about you know what I appreciated about her she had a lot of courage to keep showing up Sunday after Sunday because she had experienced so much rejection in her life and I told her I love your courage girl find something that you like maybe maybe it's just how unique they are like kind of like Baskin Robbins 31 flavors what would our church be like if we were all vanilla how boring God has way more than 31 flavors of personality so we appreciate everybody and then thirdly we affirm them Give everybody a lift whenever you can. First Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. When people stumble, don't criticize. Sympathize. Be an encourager and not a complainer. Not a condemner. Not a critical person. Not a judger. Ah, For many years in Manitoba, I I was a public counselor for the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And we kind of looked at at the quality of a doctor's practice, and sometimes there was not safe practices that needed to change. And there was a, a study out of England that I became aware of in this role, of doctors in England who weren't practicing safely. And they divided them into three groups. And the one group, they used a stick on. And they said, here are a bunch of things you're doing wrong, and if you don't fix this, we've got the power to take your license away, and you will never be a doctor again. You better fix this. The second group was, uh, you know, here's some things that are wrong, and uh, maybe you should work at this. And then the third group was, here are all the things that you do well. You're amazing. Look at all this that you do. And they hardly have ever mentioned anything wrong that these doctors had done. Now, which group do you think changed the most and the quickest of these three groups? Which which group do you think changed the most? There's this group over here where you only said the good things about them. This group over here where you're going to take away their license, you'd think they'd change because there's a big stick on their head. But these guys didn't change much. These guys in the middle, they didn't change at all. Uh, But these guys over here changed a lot. Be an encourager. Someone you build, somebody who builds up, who doesn't condemn when a person fails. You can encourage people just by smiling at them. Greeting people is important Uh, we have visitors in our church every Sunday and we only have one chance to make a good impression, our first impression. Wouldn't it be great if we filled the foyer of the church with people who just love Jesus and it shows on their face? Now, what what is James saying to us? The church is not to show favoritism. The church that accepts and appreciates and affirms people is the church that God blesses. Absolutely nothing can stop a church that is filled with love. Nothing. Now that doesn't happen accidentally. It requires an all-out effort from each of us. Every one of us contributes to the atmosphere of the church, either positively or negatively. Now here's a question for you. Would someone new come back to this church just because of you? Are you a greeter? A smiler? Together we can make a difference. We can say, yeah, I want our church to have the reputation of being a very loving church. Can you imagine out on the street People meet, yeah, I'm thinking of going to church. I think College Drive would be a good church. And they would say, the person would say, oh, that church will love you. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, that church is going to love you. I would love for our church to have that kind of reputation. God can use that kind of church to spark a spiritual awakening in its community, it can change the whole community. Nothing can stop a loving church. Maybe you're a visitor here today. Maybe this is your first time. We're still fairly new to the church. And if your experience is like ours, we found this church to be very loving. I want you to know it doesn't matter what you wear, where you come from, your economic status, you're welcome. You're welcome here. doesn't matter what your background is. It's said of the New Testament church, see how they loved each other. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. You accept, you affirm, you appreciate. Jesus Christ breaks down all the barriers and all the ground is leveled before the cross we are equal in God's sight. Galatians says, for now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or a slave or free or even men or women. We're all the same. There's no distinction in the body of Christ. We're all his children. We're all welcome. Let's pray.